Amen. Just before you take your seats, last week um, we, we spent some time <clears throat> and we were praying for people that had skin problems or scalp problems or hair problems. And uh, we prayed for everyone. The congregation prayed. We prayed. Um, but we, we didn't have time really to do any testimonies because we had to move on. And I don't know, is there anybody here tonight that we prayed for last Sunday that's got a testimony about any of those areas over the week? You noticed a difference because if there is a testimony, then uh, we'd love to hear from you, but we'd like to do that now. So I'm just giving that as an opportunity. Anyone? Don't be shy because your testimony could release the faith for somebody else to get touched this evening. Anyone? I'm not going to press it, but I did want to give opportunity. It's important to testify about things. No? Okay. We'll move on then. How many people here have got important exams coming up or have got uh, children that have got, or got important exams coming up this summer? Wave at me. Okay, I want you to leave your seat and come on the platform. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for wisdom. We're going to pray for favor. We're going to ask God's anointing. Don't be shy. Uh, we're not, not going to embarrass you. So if you've got exams, whatever those exams are, or you've got children with exams or grandchildren, you know, you can be broad on this just, or just feel led. The rest of you can take your seats. And if anybody does have a testimony, but I sprung it on you too quick for you to respond about last Sunday, we'll just come down here and speak to um, Mark in the, in the uh, plate, the red checked shirt. So if you do have a, a, a testimony about last Sunday, but I just threw it out too quickly, come down and let Mark know, and then we can, we can bring, bring that up. Okay. Nothing to be worried about. I'm br I bring you up on the platform so that we can all pray for you. Because if you're down on the uh, floor, then not everybody can see you. But I feel led to do this. Now, I always tell my son, he's got exams coming up. I say, Jake, let me give you a word of advice when it comes to exams. You do your best and God will do the rest. So don't concentrate on what you want to get in your exams in order to do this or to do that. But just do your best. God can't ask anything more than you do your best, all right? Um, make sure that you use wisdom in your studying. Sometimes, there's an article in Revival Times in the, children's, in the children's section. Sometimes, you know, it's quality, not quantity. Uh, you, if you're studying 24 hours a day, then you're going to get tired the next day. So think about all these things. Use your natural wisdom. Do your best, and God will do the rest. You say, what, am I guaranteeing you an A, a grade? No, but I'm guaranteeing whatever you get, God will be with you and in it. If you get what you want, if you don't quite get what you want, you've got nothing to worry about in the bigger scheme of things because God is with you. Do you hear me? Because you did the best. I promise you that God will do the rest. He'll work things out for you. All right? And so when you go into that examination thing, you've done your best, the best that you can do. You're not perfect. And you sit down and you do your best. All right? So we're gonna, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray for you because, you know, if you can't have the edge through prayer, then what's the point? And as people, I was thinking to myself, there's people going to be doing 
exams that you're doing, they don't know God. They don't, they don't, there's no anointing for them. They can't call on the Holy Spirit for wisdom. They can't say, I'll do my best and God will do the rest. They're not even on speaking terms with God. It's their prop, that's their fault, not God's fault. But you are, your children and heirs of the King. And He has got a direct interest in your present and your future. And He's in control. And so I want you to be confident in your studies, confident in doing your best, so that God can anoint that. Amen? Right, just where you are, congregation. You know, I always say it's not about one person praying up here. It's about congregational prayer. You know, I can pray for them, but if hundreds of us pray for them, it's going to multiply the prayer breakthrough, isn't it? So we're not spectators. We never are. We are participators. So right now, you know, whatever you get from the Lord tonight, you're going to have given something tonight. You're going to have made a difference in these people's lives. All right? So just begin to pray for them. Pray for them for wisdom. Pray for them for mercy as they study. Pray for them for guidance. Pray for them for confidence. Pray for them that when they take those exams, whatever form they come in, that they will do their best and perform at their optimum. I mean, I'm going to pray. As you're praying that, I'm going to pray right here on the platform. Father, here are your children called by your name. And you have a purpose and a destiny for each one of them. You have a direct personal interest in their lives. Lord, as they are studying and preparing, we pray that you will anoint them as they study and prepare. We pray that you will give them great wisdom and insight into the material that they have to study and look at. Lord, we pray there'll be no blockages, but they'll see and understand and work through the things that they will work through. Give them clarity of mind. Lord, we pray for their memories, that you will touch their memories so that when they go to the exams, you will bring back to their memory all they have studied. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you said that you would bring to mind everything that Jesus had said. So you are good at bringing back memories. So we pray you will anoint their minds, that that information that they need to recall at the right time will be ready and available for them to apply in the name of Jesus. Strengthen them, Lord. Give them confidence. Lord, we pray that when they sit those exams, that they'll go in at optimum mental temperature. They'll be ready. They'll do their best. They'll sit down and they'll feel and know that God is with them. We pray that, Lord, when they do their exams, you guide them. Guide them in their studies. You know what the questions are, Lord. You know what the topics will be. Well, we pray that as they study diligently everything they're meant to study, that there'll be an inner guidance in their lives so that they will be prepared for the questions and the topics that they need to be prepared for. We pray that as they sit down and take their exams, or if there's practical exams, that there will be an anointing that will come upon them at that moment sufficient for what needs to be done. We pray that, Lord, you will bring forth, there will be anointing, that they will, they will do the best of the best that they can. They'll feel a flow. They'll know that in the end of their exam or their test that they have done their best and acquitted themselves. So we pray for an anointing, an empowering 
and an enabling of the wisest person in the world today, the Holy Spirit himself. May they have the mind of Christ, gifts of wisdom, gifts of knowledge, gifts of understanding. Lord, when Solomon, you said, Solomon, what do you want? You can have anything you want. He said, wisdom, and you were well pleased. You said in James, if anybody asks for wisdom and believes you and is diligent, you will give it to them. Lord, you are the good giver. You are always giving, always ready to give wisdom. So Lord, as we do our bit on earth, we pray that you will do your bit from heaven. We pray, Lord, as we put our effort in, we'll find that the effort meets the anointing of God, the gifting of God, and the favor of God be upon you, and the blessing of God be upon you, and the strength of God be upon you, the wisdom of God be upon you, the insights of God be upon you. May you be blessed in this season and strengthened in this season and may the grace of God Almighty be with you during this period. May he grant you success. May he grant you his heart's desire. May he take you to the next steps of his destiny for you and may God the Father bless you in everything that you do. In Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we pray for those that are standing here today or in the, in the congregation. Maybe you're on the internet. These prayers are for you as well. And we pray for all those that we're standing for. Friends we know that have got exams might not be here tonight. Children that have got exams, grandchildren, nieces, brother, whatever they might be. We lift up every single person of importance to us tonight wherever they may be that have got exams. And we say from Kensington Temple at the Holy Spirit fire service, may there be a blessing that reaches out to them. May there be a grace that reaches out to them. May they know that we were praying for them tonight, Lord, and be encouraged when we tell them. And let your grace and your wisdom and your mercy be part of all those people that we are bringing to your throne right now give them favor and victory and as they do their best Lord let there be the God factor the Holy Spirit factor kick in we pray Lord that you'll favor them we pray that you will lift them up we pray that you'll give them prominence we pray that you will make them the head not the tail not so that they will be puffed up but so that they will be put in strategic positions for the kingdom of God so that they will make disciples right where they are. Seek first the kingdom. And Lord, we pray that these things will come in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Go with God. The other thing I want us to pray for before we, we move on in the service is if you, if you have back problems, back problems, if you have back pain or back problems, recurring back problems, whatever it might be, we want to pray for you on this platform right now in the name of Jesus. And believe God that you, you, you will get relief and healing. So if you've got back problems, stand to your feet. Don't be shy. Don't be ner nervous. This could be your night. Come and leave your seats. If you're up in the balcony, don't think it's too far to go. It's not too far to go if God touches you right where you need him. And come on this platform. And if I could have the ministry team on this platform as well, because we're going to lay hands 
on people uh, as this is going on and believe God I believe we were led to do this so back problems hallelujah do you know let's sing that song I believe that you're my healer and as we do that the ministry team are going to lay hands on people here but right where you are as we sing I believe you're my healer let's release a healing flow in this place today by faith and expectation whatever you need in your body today if you can put your hand on it during this time that area then go ahead and do that if, if not just reach out to God you can sit and receive you can stand but we're believing right now in these next few moments for the healing power of Jesus to come into this place you know he is the same yesterday today and he is the same he's the same Jesus that healed the sick that cleansed the letters he's not le lepers he's not changed the Jesus of the New Testament is present tonight by his Holy Spirit and he owns his word so we're going to sing that ministry team while this is going on we're going to pray for people on the platform if you don't need a healing then you can pray for people here if you need a healing right now where you are put your hand where you need it and let God just minister to you ministry team pray. ministry team pray lay hands on people find out what the situation is gone check it out if you've got movement in your back if when you moved your back it was hurting check it out see if God has done something right now we believe you can do a miracle right now we can believe you can begin healing we believe you can go out and be healed by the time you get home measures of healing miracles we release them in the name of Jesus just check them out right now Jesus 
Anybody on the platform, you notice a difference? Yeah, come, come. What, what was, what was the situation? Sorry. When they want to bomb me, they put me hard in the stomach. Yeah, I felt like bad because I have. I remember I hit on the wrong leg, and the goodbye was not in short. Pain. Is this something you've constantly had than the pain? My childhood. And you and you did you come with pain? Yeah, come with pain because my mommy lost a lot, lot of blood. And my daddy was not there to do exam that year. Um, so you feel a difference? I see it's it's my brother. Let's believe that that's gonna continue. Yeah, oh well done. Great. Anybody else feels a difference, just wants to say? Notice a difference, a flexibility or a healing? Anybody else at all? No? Okay, we'll, we'll believe God. Sometimes you can't tell these things. Um, comes and goes. 
but we just do what the Holy Spirit, we believe the Holy Spirit's telling us to do, and we felt that we were going to pray about it. Now, next, well, next time we have a, a revival meeting here, I'm going to ask if there's any testimonies. And um, if something has changed, if you've noticed something in the next couple of weeks, then when I do, come up and let us know. Uh, we've got nothing to prove here. We know that Jesus heals, and we've had testimonies over the years, but we're just going to keep doing what the Lord tells us to do. And like I said, sometimes it's an instant miracle, sometimes it takes a while, and sometimes with these conditions, you have to wait and find out. So um, be believing and expectant, and uh, we'll hear from you. God bless you. Please take your seats. Good. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Come on, sing it out, church. Faith, come on, say it out, church. Lift your hand and nothing is impossible for you. You hold on. Tonight, I was going to speak on Zacchaeus. Because, you can, you can, thanks, thank you. I was going to speak on Zacchaeus because last week uh, I delivered a message on the value of a human soul. And so this week, I was going to speak about how God wants us to go for the souls and the worst souls. And very often, Jesus went for the worst souls. But this morning, during the nine o'clock worship, I had an internal vision, and I uh, felt that I should speak on something totally different that came into me. So I'll just try and be obedient to what I feel perhaps the Holy Spirit is doing amongst us. And the title of my sermon this evening is The City of God. The City of God. And where I'm going this evening is I want to bring a mind change in your life concerning who you are, where you come from, where your hometown is, spiritually speaking, and what that means for your life in London today. Let's get some scriptures, get a bit of a feel of where I'm going to. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer 
and builder is God. What is this talking about? It's talking about that Abraham lived his life and went on his journey of faith with God. And you know, although he journeyed to the physical promised land, the land of Canaan, that wasn't the city that was on his mind. That, that wasn't his home. That's where, that's where he knew his, his destiny was, was not going to end up in the promised land. It was greater than that. He was journeying by faith and with an awareness and was looking forward to the city that has foundations, who God gave the foundations to. God was the designer and God built. In other words, he was looking to the city of God. You see, it says he went to live in the land of promise, but as in a foreign land. Think about that. He went to live in the land of promise, the promised land. God said, leave your home in Mesopotamia and go into the promised land of Canaan and I'll bless you there. But when he got there, he, he never made himself at home. It says there that he lived as a stranger or a pilgrim in a foreign land. That's why Abraham never built a city. He lived in tents all his life. It's a picture it shows us that Abraham, although he went to the promised land, his home and where, his, where, where your home is and his way is where your heart is, and his home was the city of God. You say, well, what is the city of God? Well, let's, let's keep talking about this. Hebrews chapter 12, the next chapter, verse 21. Or verse 22, this is speaking about Moses receiving the law at Mount Sinai but, and how fearful everybody was when the law came. But then it speaks about where we believers have come by faith when we're born again. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the city of God, the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and you have come to the assembly of the firstborn, those that inherit, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. This is the city of God. What this is saying is that you as believers, the moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior and your sins are forgiven you and you enter into the family of God, you now have a new hometown. You now have a new citizenship. You have become a pilgrim or a sojourner in this world before you came to Christ this world was your home. You were of the world. The prince of the power of this world was your ruler. And this fallen world was your true home. A fallen world for fallen people. But the moment you were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the moment you were saved, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, this world at that moment was no longer your home. You were delivered from that. Now we see that you have a heavenly home. This morning during the nine o'clock service, because I, had, I hadn't even thought about this, 
during the worship, I had an internal vision, an internal vision. And in that internal vision, or in my imagination, my imagination at that time while worship was going on, I saw a picture. I saw a picture, and I saw two places. I saw where we were on earth right now in this vision here in London in the nine o'clock service, and I could see outside the church, and, and, I, I, and I could see London and, and other things that were taking place. And then it was like two camera angles. I had that camera angle looking down, but then I saw another camera angle. And through that camera, I could see the heavenly city. Not in all its forms, but it, it was an impression of the heavenly city. And it was strange because in this internal vision, I was comparing the two, or the two were compared. And in the heavenly city, there was power. There was anointing. There was holiness. There was God in perfection. And in the heavenly city, although I couldn't see it, I could sense the presence of angels. I could sense the, presen the presence of saints and believers who had gone before us to heaven, to that heavenly city. There was no resistance to God in that heavenly city. It was just pure power, pure grace, pure mercy, pure glory. It was powerful. It was wonderful. And then, and then I flicked to the other camera angle, and I could see us down there in the 9 o'clock service, and then I could see outside, the world outside. And what I saw was weakness in comparison, brokenness confusion, unbelief in comparison. And I could see the difference between the two places. Now, I'm not saying that in the nine o'clock, <laughs> we were full of unbelief, we were broken, we were weak. I'm, it was in comparison, do you understand? It was a comparison thing. I'm sure that there was a lot more going on at the nine o'clock here than in many places in the world today. Can you understand where I'm coming from? But compared... To the heavenly city, I saw our weakness. And then I, I realized that what we really needed was more of the kingdom of heaven, more of the influence of that city to be imprinted where we were. We needed the culture of that city. We needed the faith of that city. We needed the atmosphere of that heavenly city. We needed the power and the glory of that city. And, and we needed that to somehow come down into where we were on earth to revive us and strengthen us and give us a taste of heaven. And of course, that's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the picture of that heavenly city, God wants to bring the culture and the atmosphere of that heavenly city down to where we are in this broken, fallen, earthly city called London tonight. How many of you know, if you compare London tonight to our heavenly city, well, there's no comparison, is there? But God wants to do something. And, and that began me thinking. And, and I hear this description in Hebrews 12. You've got this heavenly city. It says, you have come. He's speaking to you, believers, tonight. You, whether you realize it or not, you have come to Mount Zion. This is not where modern-day Jerusalem is. This is a different Mount Zion. This is the Mount Zion 
that was uncreated. This is a heavenly Jerusalem. We read early, foundations made by God. This is the city of God. You have come to it. And in your city, your home, there are innumerable angels. There are gatherings and rejoicing. There are those that have gone before us, the believers, glorified. What we call the church triumphant. Do you know that's what we call them technically? Every believer that has gone to be with God and gone to their heavenly home, their heavenly city, they're called the church triumphant. They've run their race. They've done what God's called them to do, hopefully. And they find themselves triumphant in a place where there's no enemy, no sin, no Satan, no sickness and no death. The church triumphant. But the technical name for us on earth presently, the believers, is the church militant. That's what they call us. That's the theological word. We're meant to be the church militant. We're only here for a few moments. Hebrews also tells us in another place that, that we have a great cloud of witnesses. And where are they? They're in our heavenly city. And they are watching us. They are looking at this generation that is living and breathing on earth. You and I. They're watching us to see what we will do as it's our turn to carry the torch. In the relay race of church history, you and I, we have the baton and it's time to run. Anybody ever run the relay? You ever run relay? relay? I used to run relay in um, 100 meters and 200 meters. And you know if you ever run a relay, you know what it's like. You're, you're standing there, you're waiting. And I always used to do the last leg because I was quite good at running, running at, that, at that time. I always used to do the last leg. And you'd be waiting, and I'd be watching them, handing over the baton. How did that put the first leg go? Are we behind? How is the second leg going? What sort of catching up am I going to do? Will I be put ahead of the others when I get the baton? Or will I be behind? And many times, I would be just behind, and I'd see the others going, they got their baton, I'm waiting for mine. Come on, give me the baton, the baton's coming. I start to run so that as, as you're taught to do, you've got that section where you're running and then you take that baton and then you run the fastest that you can do. The baton's in your hand, friend. The baton's in my hand. The baton's in Kensington Temple, London City. We are the generation and we're celebrating 100, amen. We are celebrating 100 years of the Elim Pentecostal movement. It's called movement because there's meant to be moving. And over that 100 years, there have been baton exchanges. As one group of believers are glorified and go to heaven, uh, and then we receive that baton, then others receive the baton, and others receive the baton. There are people that sat in those seats Many, many years ago, it's our 50th anniversary since we came back. George Jeffries was here, I think, in the late 40s. People sat just where you were that carried the baton in the relay race of God's destiny for Kensington Temple. The first people that dedicated this church in the mid-1800s, they were the one that ran the first leg and they passed it on. And that's where we are. We're carrying our baton, but we're being cheered on. People are watching to see what this generation... And they are our home crowd. Anybody like football? 
You know, that when they talk about home crowd advantage, you think of your favorite team. If you've ever been to a football match, and, uh, and, and, and if you go and see them away, it's a bit difficult because there's home crowd advantage. And uh, there's only maybe a hundred or a few of you there, and you're shouting. You're trying to make an atmosphere, but you, you, know, you can't be heard because of the home crowd if it's a decent team. But you go, you go to your home crowd. You go to your stadium, and you sit there in that arena or that stadium, and then you hear the roar when your team comes out. It's home crowd advantage. And your home crowd is cheering you on and lifting the place. That's what's happening. In our hometown, our home city in heaven, they are watching events on earth. They are looking to see what we're doing and they're cheering us on and encouraging in a sense. That's, that's the picture. Galatians 4 verse 26, we don't need to turn to it, but that speaks about the fact that we have come to the Jerusalem that is above which is our mother, Galatians 4.26. This is our mother town, our hometown. This is important. I'm going to explain why this is important in a while. I'm just building a foundation of knowledge here before I drive it home to explain what that means for us today. Galatians 4.26. The Jerusalem above is our mother. St. Augustine a great theologian and early church father. One of his most, he wrote a number of books. One of the most famous books is the Confessions. And in that Confessions, he talks about his life. It's like a testimony, really, about what he was like before he knew God and how he acted as an unbeliever, then how he found God, and then how God began to deal with his heart. And then another book that he wrote that, that is very famous is a book he wrote called The City of of God. And it's interesting when he wrote the city of God because something cataclysmic had happened to the most famous and powerful city on earth, Rome. In 410 AD, the Vandals, that's why they're called Vandals, the Vandals captured and sacked Rome. And people just did not know what to do about that. They never ever thought. They, they called Rome the eternal city. They believed it would never be destroyed. It would never be captured. They, they believed that the Roman Empire would last forever. Rome was the eternal city. It was the greatest city. It was the city at the heart of that empire for, for, for centuries. It had ruled and reigned over the, the known civilized world. And then suddenly it was destroyed and it was captured. And pagans were saying, oh, this is all the Christians' fault. And Augustine wrote to say, hey, this wasn't the Christians' fault at all. But later on, when he was writing, he began to speak about the city of God and the earthly city and compare them. A little bit like that internal vision I had earlier. And he looked at the history, the history of human-made states and what he called the city of the world, which represents the world without God. And it's turmoil, and it's upheaval. And he was saying, look, the problem is, you put your faith in that earthly city. You called Rome the eternal city. Well, that's going to annoy God to begin with, because there is an eternal city. 
And you put all your trust in that city. And you said, Rome will never fall. Rome is glorious. And Rome was made the most glorious city on the face of the earth. All roads lead to Rome. Do you remember that phrase? And, and Rome's time was always going to come because there's only one eternal city. And it's our home in heaven. So he spoke about the city of the world and its history and its brokenness and its upheaval and its turmoil. And the fact that you can't put your trust in the powers of the world. That if you're looking for a stable home upbringing, you know, people, they, they always say, oh, I'm coming to Britain, Which, where shall I live? Where are the nice towns? Where are the nice areas? Where are the nice places? Where are the places it's not nice to live? They're looking for a secure place. They're looking for a pretty place. They're looking for an exciting place. And when we see the history of the world, you can't make your home in this world. It will disappoint you. You can't make the city of this world your home. If you do, you're in big trouble. You'll be like Lot in Sodom. He made the wrong place his home, didn't he? While Abraham was living in tents and his eyes set on his heavenly home, the city of God, Lot had made his home in Sodom. He'd made his home in the representation of, of everything that is fleshly, everything is worldly, and God had to deliver him from Sodom. And God is delivering Christians from Sodom again and again and again, saying, that is not your home. Stop living in the world and the city of this world. Start living like a member of the heavenly Jerusalem. Psalm 48, I'm just going to read it to you because it's a lovely psalm and it's looking forward to the city of God. Psalm 48. It's prophetic. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. With the citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled and they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish, as we have heard and so we have seen, in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad that the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Here the psalmist is looking at the earthly Jerusalem, but saying, hey, this earthly Jerusalem, it's a picture of something that is heavenly and eternal. Just like the earthly temple was a picture of the holy of holies that was heavenly and eternal. These were scale human models of heavenly realities. You understand that? Zechariah 2 verse 4. In fact, the whole of Zechariah, Zechariah is speaking to the Jews as they came back 
from Babylonian captivity. They'd been there for 70 years. This city of God, the natural city, Jerusalem, which they thought would last forever, had been destroyed. The temple broken down and the walls broken down. After 70 years, God delivered them according to the prophecy of Jeremy and, uh, Jeremiah and through the... Um, and he was Jeremy to his friends. And <laughs> through the intercession of Daniel. And they came back and look what they saw. Walls down, remember Nehemiah? Walls down, altar broken, everything broken. Zechariah ministered at that time. And he said, look, be encouraged. And throughout Zechariah, there is prophecy about what God's going to do with Jerusalem. And he's speaking not about the natural Jerusalem, but about the heavenly Jerusalem. Zechariah 2.4, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around her, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. He's looking forward to the city of God. Let's go to Rome, Revelations chapter 18. Where there's a picture again of the earthly city and the heavenly city in prophetic literature. The heavenly Jerusalem is very important in prophetic literature. Revelation 18. I've got time to read it all, but I just want to point some things out. This is the fall of Babylon. See, Babylon is a picture of everything that is earthly and antichrist and anti-God. It is humanity's building life without God. And we know that this is the point where Babylon is fallen. Examples in, uh, in, in verse 2, it says, He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. But then it speaks about it as a city. So if we go to verse 10, it says in Revelations 18, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. You can skip to verse 16. Alas, alas, for that great city that was clothed in fine linen, for in a single hour all its wealth has been laid waste. You can go to 18, and they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? Again in verse 19, alas, alas, for the great city. Verse 21, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down. This is a picture of worldly power, worldly power without God. Don't make Babylon your home. In fact, the New Testament says, doesn't it, come out of her, my people, Peter said. Come out of Babylon. In other words, God is calling us as Christians, and maybe here tonight, you're not a Christian yet, and you're living in Babylon. Babylon is the flesh. Babylon is everything that isn't God. Everything that is the antithesis, the absolute anti to our heavenly city. It's the opposite, exact opposite in everything that it is, Babylon, compared to the heavenly Jerusalem. We see this heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Do you know that? When Jesus returns, when it's all done and dusted, this uh, broken, fallen earth and heaven is going to be recast, remolded, recreated. 
And what is God going to do at the center of that, at the center of the new creation? Do you know what's going to be there? The heavenly Jerusalem. That Jerusalem that is our home right now in heaven is going to literally come down to earth. Verse 1, 20, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with him as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more because there's no death in the heavenly city. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Let me tell you a little bit about our heavenly city. Give you a little bit of a feel of it, because this is your home. In uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. Sorry, verse, um, verse six, 16. This heavenly city, this city lies four square. Its length, the same of its width. In other words, it's a cube. And he measured the city with his rod. It was 12,000 stadia. Its length and its widths and height are equal. What does that mean? Well, a stadia, 12,000 stadia, is 1,380 miles. This heavenly city, when it comes down to earth, is 1,300 and 80 miles long, 1,080 miles wide, 1,000 and um, sorry, 1,380 long, 1,380 wide, 1,380 high. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. You can go on YouTube and and you can find people that have tried to make pictures of it. In other words, this heavenly city is. You know the moon? It's the size of the moon, only a cube. If you took the heavenly city of Jerusalem and brought it down to earth right now and put it next to America, the top of the heavenly city would be the border with Canada and the bottom of the heavenly city would be the border with Mexico. This is a city with many different layers and many different... Uh, many different um, uh, well, I can't even describe it because it's a heavenly city. It's indescribable. And some of, you, some of you are looking at me like a cow looks at an open gate. Some of you are looking at me like a frog in a hailstorm. But what I'm trying to say is this is a heavenly city. It's going to blow your mind. And let's think about cities. This is where I want to bring it home. You know, where you're brought up... In, or the city that you were brought up in, often you're very proud and attached to it, aren't you? You say, that's my hometown. And, and, you, and you can live for many years in London. I've been here 25 years. But London will never be my hometown. Last week, you may have heard that we as leaders at Kensington Temple went to Harrogate in North Yorkshire for our centenary Elim leaders meeting. And Harrogate is my hometown. And I haven't been back there for 10 years. My parents have moved out. 
And, when I, and because I hadn't been back for so long, it was a very surreal experience to be back there. And because I was there, I was telling everyone, well, this is my hometown. And they say, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so lovely, it's, because it is an amazing spa town. And they were asking me questions about it. And I went past my, my old school, and, and then in the center of town, people were asking me where things were, and I was directing them and telling them the beauty spots. And then I spent some time just walking around the center of Harrogate in, in the parks, and it was strange because everything flooded back. And I realized that this was my hometown, that this, is, this, that this was the making of me, the schooling of me. This was my hometown. And it had a tremendous... And I, and I was thinking about that. You know, when you're proud of your city, and I, I was proud of Harrogate when I went back. I never was before. This is the first time. Because everybody was saying how lovely it was. And the more they said how lovely it was, the more I said, yeah, this is my hometown. <laughs> welcome to my home. I was going around to Elam, and they're going, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? And Harrogate saying, welcome to my hometown. And when you think about your hometown, and being proud of your city, and where you belonged, and where you were brought up, you know, your hometown has characteristics, doesn't it? It has traits. Sometimes you can tell somebody's hometown by their accent, can't they? Liverpool or Manchester, or parts of East London, Scots. And you can tell someone's by their accent. And um, different hometowns are famous for different things. They have a culture. They have an architecture. Harrogate's a spa town. Um, it, it, it's, it's well known for its toffee and its tea room called Betty's, which me and Chris went and had tea. And he was saying, well, what shall I have? And I was telling him, I was recommending it because it's my hometown. And I used to work in the Taylor's Tea and Coffee factory in my hometown. And so I, I had pikelets and I said, Chris, you've got to have the famous Yorkshire fat rascal, which is a big... So he had that. It was my hometown. There's a... And he enjoyed it. There's a specific culture in your hometown, a specific architecture. There's a specific environment. I was walking down the streets. I hadn't walked for a long while. And I was reminiscing. And in many ways, although things had moved on, there was still the environment of my hometown. What about your hometown? Maybe London's your hometown, but some of you it's not. Think about your hometown, where you were brought up, where, where you were schooled, and when you were, you were last there. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because you have a hometown which has a special environment, a hometown that has an accent that you can carry with, a culture of your hometown. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says that your citizenship is in heaven. It's your hometown. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and pilgrims and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. What is a sojourner? What is a pilgrim? It's someone that resides temporarily. Now, I've been in London 25 years, but I still say bath, not bath. I have a glass of water, not a glass of water. And that's always going to... You can take the man out of Harrogate, but you can't take Harrogate out of the man. And it's there, no matter how long. 
Now, it's the, same, it's, it's the same for us spiritually. But what we need to do is that we, we need to be proud of our hometown, which is the heavenly Jerusalem. We need to walk on this earth and in this city and say, hey, this isn't my home. I'm not taking the culture of London. I have a different culture. It's from my heavenly home. It's the culture of Jerusalem. London may be a lovely place, but I'm telling you, in my home, angels walk around. London may be a lovely place, but I'm telling you, Abraham's in my hometown. Moses is in my hometown. Jesus is in my hometown. God is in my hometown. These are, these are my people. They're my people. It's my hometown. And do you know what? I speak like them. You say, I've got a Yorkshire accent. I, have, I need a heavenly accent. But to speak like Jesus speaks in spiritual words, words of faith, words of peace, words of love, words of grace. And I communicate with my hometown. I'm on the phone through prayer every day, speaking to my hometown. And I'm believing, and not only, I, I mean, I love my hometown in heaven so much that I want to make this town like my town in heaven. I want London City to look more and more like the heavenly city. I want my town to come, my city to come, in heaven, on the earth. And I don't want to be part of Babylon. We're like Daniel in Babylon. And when Daniel was in Babylon, they tried to make him a Babylonian. And some of the Jews did. Some of the, do you know, many of the Jews never came back from Babylon. Think about this. They were taken to Babylon. The vast majority did not come back. In fact, the vast majority of Jews for centuries and centuries were in Babylon. And it was only when, the, uh, when Islam drove them out and persecuted them that long ago. That was, that was a, they never came back. They were only meant to be there 70 years. Many of them there were hundreds and hundreds of years. God doesn't want us in Babylon, smelling of Babylon, the culture of Babylon, the language of Babylon, the unbelief of Babylon, the pride of Babylon. The materialism of Babylon, it's all there in Revelation. God wants us to come out of Babylon. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. God wants, wants us to be pilgrims in an unholy land. That's my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite quote from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's there with his, 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 I'm coming to a close, he's there with his father in the sidecar, and they're driving through this Nazi, Jew-hating, dominated uh, Reich. And his father turns to him and says, son, we're pilgrims in an unholy land. Hit me. And I watched that. Hit me. And I thought, I'm a pilgrim in an unholy land. But we pilgrims have got a, a destiny. You know, when revival comes, it brings the culture of our heavenly land. And I'm, I'm going to close now, but I'm just trying to, to, to get something in your mind to do, a mind change. I want you to think who you are like Peter says, you're a sojourner. You're a temporary resident here on earth. You, you don't speak the language of Babylon. Don't speak their language. Speak heavenly language. Live out of your heavenly home. And God will pour out blessings. His kingdom will come. His manifestations will come. We can have some of that heaven, the kingdom of heaven now. There's so much more of our city that we can live out of, manifest, and see we can bring that culture to where we are through the gospel. When you wake up tomorrow morning, 
even though you're in a Babylonian system run by Babylonian demons, you are not of them. You've come out of them so that you can minister to them. I've often thought this, just in my mind, I've often thought, if I, that's probably why God never puts me on TV or radio, but I've often thought, I'm on TV and radio, and someone's asking me, well, you Christians don't believe in this sort of marriage, and you Christians don't believe in that, and you, believe, and, and you Christians are this, that, and the other, and you have your opinion. And I just, I, in my mind, I just said, I said, said look, I don't care what you do in Babylon, because I'm not here to reform Babylon. I'm here to call people out of Babylon. But I don't, I don't think that would go down very well. We're here to call them out. We're not here to reform Babylon. We're here to deliver the exiles. To bring them to the city. Just like in the Old Testament, God brought his people out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. So we, by the preaching of the gospel and the power of prayer, are meant to deliver those that are in spiritual Babylon, spiritual Babylonians, and convert them to the heavenly city to become citizens amongst us. That wouldn't go down well on Radio 4, would it? In our time and all that lot. Let's stand together. Just let that rest on you. Ministry team, come forward. In a few moments, you've got anything you need to be prayed for. Don't go. We'll pray for you. We'll believe for you. Right where you are in these closing moments. And then, then we'll just spend a bit of time worshiping the Lord for 10 and 15 minutes. You can, you can go, but don't go yet until I've, I've done. Tonight, is there anybody here? Just everybody still, just for a few moments. Tonight, is there anybody here? And you need Jesus as your Savior. In order to be a citizen of heaven, to know that when you die, you go to heaven, because you will not go to heaven if you're not a citizen of heaven. You will not get in. You need a passport. And the passport is this. Jesus died for you and rose again. And if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you'll be forgiven. And you'll be handed a new identity a new passport. You'll be a citizen of a new place and you'll join us, the merry pilgrims on earth doing the will of the Father. If you don't know whether you have become a Christian yet, then with every head bowed, please, I want you to lift your hand and we'll pray for you right now. And I guarantee that you will be delivered from Babylon into the kingdom of heaven. Lift your hand if you want that prayer right now. Don't lift your hand if you're a Christian. Lift your hand if you want that prayer. Upstairs. Downstairs. Let me see your hand. Up there at the back. People are waiting at the back. Consolidators. Downstairs. You just lift your hand and say, Lord, I want to be a citizen. I want to be saved. Anybody? Those of you who lifted your hand, someone's going to come and speak to you. But right now, let's just drink in this anointing of who we are and where we're from. Let's be proud of our hometown tomorrow and the next day and walk as citizens in heaven. Let's worship the Lord. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. If you need prayer, don't be shy. Come. Let us join with you, agree with you, and believe that God will do a miracle in your life tonight.